Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Jose Medina with Remax Crossroads in Canton, Ohio. He works Stark County. Last year, he closed 155 transactions with a total sales volume of $21 million. His average sales price was $139,000. 40% were buyers and 60% were sellers. He operates a team with six members, one closing manager, one listing manager, three buyer agents, and one team leader. Jose Medina is the team leader of Jose Medina & Associates. He has been an agent for nine years. Jose specializes in generating referral business from his sphere of influence and past client database. He receives 80% of his business from this database. Jose wants everyone he's ever met, come in contact with, or done business with to be in his database. He contacts his 7,000-person database at least six times per year by direct mail. Jose has two major annual promotions. First, for Thanksgiving, he gives away a free pie to anyone on his list who will RSVP and come by the office to pick it up. Second, for Christmas, he has a client appreciation party at a local movie theater focused on the kids. Both have been a huge success and get Jose in front of his sphere of influence and past clients to bond and show appreciation. Jose believes real estate is a contact sport. The more contacts, the more contracts. Every day, he makes phone calls during his hour of power. Jose has advanced his business with team building and marketing. He believes sellers respond to agent image and results while buyers respond to properties for sale. He advertises in his local newspaper and provides a free moving truck to his current and past clients. Listen closely to how Jose uses DISC personality styles in his listing appointments to generate a 70 to 80 home listing inventory. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Jose. Thanks, Mike. Before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a moment and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. I graduated from uh, college in 2001 and uh, got married right shortly thereafter. Went out, uh, originally from Ohio, but went out to Arizona for about a year just with my wife at that time to, um, to just explore and, and see what was out there and uh, we, we stayed out there for about a year and uh, worked in a university actually uh, doing admission sales and we decided we wanted to come back and be closer to family 
And so we did that, and at that time um, was really when I was deciding what I wanted to do with my life and uh, actually looked into two different occupations. One was the real estate market, and then one was uh, financial planning. Um, it just ended up working out that uh, I got recruited by a local company here, and it worked out that I was able to get into real estate, and, and that's kind of how I got my start. So uh, I was just one year out in, I guess, the real world before I got into the real estate world. Why did you decide to get into real estate? Good question. I was looking at, um, when I was in Arizona, I was at a uh, basically a sales-type job, and I was in a, a situation where I was the new person, and there's people there with seniority, and I was working much harder than them um, and getting paid less, and it wasn't really based on how hard I worked or how good I was at my job. It was... Um, a straight salary type position. And I knew coming back, I wanted to have something that I could kind of create that the harder that I worked and the better that I was at what I did, um, I would be compensated for that. And that really, that really appealed to me. Um, so looking into getting into real estate, obviously that's definitely the situation with the better that you are and, and the harder that you work at what you do, you definitely get compensated for that. When you got started in real estate, do you think you had a fast start or a slow start? I would say a rather fast start. Um, I got licensed in August, and um, we, my wife and I uh, found out we were having a baby in October. So uh, we had a very short window to get my real estate business off the ground. We had always said that uh, when we had our first child, we, were gonna, um, we wanted her to be able to stay home with it. Um, and so we had about 11 months to get a business up and running to support a family and, and, um, and get things off the ground. So I definitely had some motivation to go the, that first year to, to get things going and, and uh, do the things necessary to actually get the, get the business up and running. You're in Canton, Ohio. Where is Canton? Canton is just south of Akron, Ohio. Um, Akron and Canton are often lumped together, and that also puts us about an hour south of Cleveland. So it's the northeast part of Cleveland, but an hour south of, of Cleveland. Please describe your local real estate market. In Ohio, it's not a very up and down market. Like some markets, um, even in the good years, our price appreciation was 2 to 4%, so we never had the dramatic swings up. And so on the flip side, we've never had the dramatic swings down. Uh, since the real estate market had gotten a little bit tougher, I'd say total depreciation over the last uh, three to five years has been, on average in our county, has been somewhere between 10 and 15%. So looking at it from a nationwide standpoint, we definitely haven't been hit as hard, but we never got the, the big appreciation. Uh, right now, we're running about a nine to 10 month supply of inventory for the county. Now, that obviously changes if you look at different demographics of the county, different price ranges and stuff. Uh, but a 9- to 10-month supply is about our average right now in, in our area. We also, um, our average time on the market for houses that are currently on the market is about 150 days or so right in that area. Um, so it's definitely not a robust market where we're putting the houses on the market and they're selling very quickly. Uh, but I will say, uh, looking at our stats, about... 55% of the houses out there that do end up selling end up selling in the first 90 days. So knowing those numbers going into a listing appointment for me is important so I can show 
a seller that if we're priced right, if we're marketed properly, properly and the condition is correct, uh, we know that we have a very good shot of selling the house in the first 90 days. Do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? I don't think we have a niche. We're not, we, we don't touch any bank-owned properties uh, as far as listing bank-owned. Um, we're pretty just the meat and potatoes helping buyers and sellers of resale properties. We do a very, very small percentage of short sales. Uh, you know, out of the 155 last year, we maybe did three to four closed short sales. We do work with first-time home buyers. We do uh, tap into the expired market. Uh, we do some for sale by owners. Uh, but there's not a necessarily a niche or you know market that we concentrate 100% in. Let's talk about the different ways that you generate business and leads. A couple of different ways we we're, we're generating leads. When we first when I first got in the business to jumpstart up my business, uh, I did a lot of cold calling uh, on for sale by owners and expired on a on a daily basis. My first year and a half to two years. It was um, going out, knocking on doors, uh, which is very old school, but uh, worked at that time and uh, just spent half the day knocking on doors or I remember Monday mornings getting the, getting the Saturday and Sunday newspaper and looking through four shop by owners and just locking myself in a conference room until I had appointments for the week, just calling those people, just introducing myself. You know, just introducing myself and saying, you know, if I could be of any service or if you have any questions regarding real estate, I'd be happy to help you. And um, that was pretty much how I first got started was just making those phone calls, writing letters, um, handwritten notes, those type of basic type things. Um, so through the years, that's kind of evolved. And um, now uh, a good part of our seller leads um, – is, is actually word of mouth and reputation. We've, uh, we've got a, a pretty decent market share now that uh, you drive down pretty much any street and you'll see some of our listings. Um, right now we're carrying an inventory between 70 and 80 listings. So uh, for our market area, that's, that seems like our signs are everywhere. So through reputation, you know, we always ask people, how do they hear about us? And, and sometimes they just say, we see your signs everywhere, we've seen your ads everywhere, and so forth. So reputation is, is definitely a big part of it now. Uh, referral business is a huge part of our business as well. Um, doing this now, what is this, nine years we've been doing this, uh, just building on past clients, uh, that's a big part of, of, of our business. Uh, and then we still actively solicit expireds. Uh, so we have a campaign that goes out to expired as soon as they hit the market. And we can talk more about that as well. Uh, we also have for sale by owner system that we track for sale by owners and do marketing to them. Um, and we actually get a lot of referrals, probably maybe five to ten transactions a year from other real estate agents that um, aren't able to sell a listing, and so they call us and, and give us a referral on that. Or if they, they're getting out of the business, we usually get a referral for them because they know that we're the most active team in the market. Let's first start talking about your referral system. You're generating about 50% about half of your business from referral. How did you develop a database? When I first got in the business, I was introduced to Top Producer right away, which was a blessing. Um, and I've used that system ever since. I have never explored the other systems out there. I'm sure all of them are good um, and all of them have their own niches. But uh, 
for what we do, it works great. And um, I, I don't think the point is to use Top Producer. The point is to use some type of system. And uh, basically what we do is just any person we've ever met goes into our Top Producer system, and uh, we do mailings to them uh, throughout the year. Uh, some of the mailings that we've – it's evolved over the years. Right now we're doing six, seven months out of the year our sphere of influence, past clients, and contacts in, in Top Producer get some type of mailing from us. And we do several different things. This will be our fourth year doing this, is we have a client appreciation party, which has been a real big hit and every year has grown. And what we do is uh, in our downtown area, there's an old palace theater, and we rent that out for the night. And it's going to be, it's close. It's like the first week in December is when we do it. And it's a very, very kid-focused uh, event. And, and so what we do is we rent out the movie theater. We uh, show a movie, a Christmas kids movie. Um, so this past year we did Santa Claus. We've done uh, the Polar Express. And, and so we invite our sphere of influence. We send out a lot of postcards several months in advance to promote that. We also then dovetail that with promotion or sponsorships from our vendors that we use to help offset some of that cost. So we have title companies, mortgage companies, inspectors that not only help with the sponsorship but also do some giveaways. So at the beginning of the the client appreciation party, you know, my team and I get up there and thank everyone for coming out. We um, also do the raffles at that point. So we usually are giving away like a Nintendo Wii, gift cards, some uh, Cleveland Cavaliers tickets, uh, which used to be more popular, and just things along that line that are just an incentive for people to come. It's a nice giveaway, and it's a nice touch for them that we're doing this event for the kids and, and so forth. So last year we had about 400 people there, and um, every year it's grown. And we plan to do it, you know, as far as we can see. So that's one way, one way we get in front of them. Then also in July, we do um, a July 4th pie giveaway. Again, we do a, a mailing out to everyone in our sphere of influence and our top producer database. And um, we order local pies, uh, a pie from a local grocery store, and they deliver it to us. And what it basically is is, our clients have to call an RSVP to us to be able to pick up and tell us if they want an apple pie or a cherry pie. And then that Friday before July 4th weekend, we book out, the whole team books out to just be at the, um, the office all day. And people just stop by, and it's a great way for us to get in front of our past clients, have a five-minute conversation with them and, and just touch base with them. And, and that always leads to just one good interaction and then to just us being on the top of mind with them. How many pies do you typically give away? This year we ended up ordering about 80 to 90 pies. So it's, it's really not a whole lot of cost for us uh, because we're able to buy the, the pies in bulk. And um, the invitation goes out to several thousand people, so it's a, it's a good gesture to a lot of people without a lot of cost. So it works out really great. On that client appreciation party, is it a movie or, you, or is some other function going on in that building? It's a movie. So, uh, you know, the first year we did the movie The Polar Express, and then we did uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, and then several other movies. Um, 
so it's a movie every year and that's what we advertise and and so it's maybe a, a two hour event total and then actually what we do at the end as well is um I have a past client that makes a very good Santa Claus. Uh, so we invite him, and he dresses up as Santa Claus, and all the kids are able to come up on stage and get their picture, and then we give them a little giveaway like a candy cane or something like that. And, and so the kids really get a kick out of that with being able to see Santa Claus and get their picture taken without having to go to the mall and wait for an hour for that, for that process. The intro, how long are you up there talking to the folks? Less than 10 minutes. I mean, it's just, uh, hey, thank you for coming out. Really appreciate your support throughout the year. We had a really good year. We also want to thank our sponsors, that type of thing. It's not a sales thing. We're just getting up there, getting in touch with them again, thanking them for coming out and, and letting them enjoy the night. Do the sponsors speak at all? They are usually on hand to help with the giveaways and, and the passing out and the coordinating of stuff but they're kind of in the background. I do announce them and, and thank them, but they're kind of in the background. And are there any handouts? Do you hand out flyers to everybody when they come in? We do not. We, we actually just pass out raffle tickets so people could win the prizes that we have available for that year. Um, and then we've also somewhat catered the event. We usually just make a lot of cookies and, and have hot chocolate there, and so the kids get loaded up on sugar. And uh, that's really it. We, I mean, it's pretty simple with that respect, but it's, it's powerful and kids love it and, and the parents love it and it's something to do around Christmas time. Do you put up banners? Not a banner, but uh, the Palace Theater, which we rent out, changes the marquee uh, in the front of the building. That, and it says, welcome, Jose Medina and Associates, clients. And, and uh, so, it, it, you know, throughout the town, people see that as well as they're driving by there. What do you think your total cost or investment is in that project? With all of the mailings going out, with the cost to rent it, I would say total cost would be $4,500, I would say. But after all the sponsorships come in, probably half of that is offset with sponsorship costs. So really for, say, $2,000, I'm able to get in front of all my clients, have a night with them, which, as we know, one referral more than takes care of that. How you're contacting your database. You said you have the mallets. What are you sending them six times a year? It varies. For the pie giveaway, we send out two mailings. For the Christmas party, client party, we, that, that ends up taking two mailings. So we're really just coming up with two different mailings. We could we usually do something that goes along with branding, uh, something to the effect of we sell a house every 57 hours or uh, something that just promotes us as far as in the market. And it's usually just um, an oversized postcard. One of the sides is the same every time, and it just has our brand on it with the Remax sign, very generic. And then we change the back message the other time. So it could be something along that or top 10 reasons to hire me as your realtor. And it says, you know, one, two, three, Main Street sold in eight days for 97% of list price. That's number one. You know, so-and-so sold for 97% of list price in 32 days. And we have 10 of those. We've, we've done mailings like that before. So it just varies, and it, it may be just something along the lines of change your smoke detector. It's that time of the year to, to check your batteries on the smoke detector. So it just varies. We, we try to mix it up a little bit. 
What else do you do to contact this database? Is it all mail or do you also make phone calls or knock on doors or send email? A large part of it is the mailing, but I do prospecting daily to try to, to keep in touch with my current clients and past clients. So I have blocked out an hour every day to call my past clients and just catch up with them, maybe even leave them a 30-second message as far as, um, hey, I was just in your neighborhood, um, saw your house, it looked great, you know, really enjoyed working with you guys. If you guys ever think of anybody that needs to buy or sell real estate, just keep me in mind. Uh, those type of messages are, are very frequent. We don't have it set up where it's an automatic type system of, hey, I'm calling them every year or, or on their anniversary of their house. We're not that organized, but I do keep a list of my past clients and just kind of go through there and just give them a call and try in that hour of phone calls every day just to try to get through as many as possible. And I think that's, that's really important. And, and for a new agent starting out, the phone is free. I mean, just get on there and start calling. If you don't have past clients, start calling your sphere of influence and just touch base with them. Um, that's, you know, we do a lot of marketing, but that's the simplest, the least expensive, and probably the most profitable um, way to increase your business. It's just getting on the phone every day. It's a hard thing. I mean, it's the thing that no agent really wants to do. They don't want to pick up the phone call. They don't want to make that phone call, and that's, you know, that's not what I want to do, but I know that those are the things that are going to really make us successful. You mentioned that it's hard to pick up that phone and make the call. I assume most people are concerned about what to say. Do you have a script that you use? Not necessarily a script, but um, I don't know if you've heard of the Ford technique. Um, it's uh, basically, when talking to people, Ford stands for Family, Occupation, Recreation, and Dreams. So if you pick any one of those topics or kind of go through those topics with any person, you can pretty much keep a conversation going. So it would be like, you know, hey, Mike, how is, how is the family? How is the wife? Um, so that would be talking about family. Um, how is the job going? I heard that they had uh, some layoffs at the factory. Um, and then recreation is, you know, do you guys have any fun plans for this summer? Do you guys go on vacation? Uh, and then dreams would be, you know, I know you talked about maybe one day having an investment property. Have you guys thought about that? Or how is the retirement coming? Are you guys close to that? So the family, occupation, recreation, dreams, if you have that in front of you and you just pick up the phone and start talking to someone, that kind of just leads you into a natural conversation. You're not just calling them to to solicit their business. You're calling them to to touch base with them and see how they're doing. Your notes that you're keeping in your database top producer probably help to cue you and what you should talk about. Exactly, yep. And one of the things that we do is when we get a, a property closed and we have a new past client, uh, we send out um, the VIP program list where we, uh, my closing manager sends out to them and it has just basically a, a two-page survey figuring out, you know, what their kids' ages are, when their kids' birthdays are, uh, when their anniversary is, you know, things along that line. So we have that information in Top Producer, and every week she pulls up some of the calls that I'm supposed to be doing. And, and so I try to work off of that as well. So saying, hey, Derek, I saw that your daughter had a birthday last week. 
just wanted to, you know, wish her a happy birthday and hopefully you guys enjoyed the time together and, and so forth. Are you sending out birthday cards or anniversary cards as well? We are not. We, that's probably something that we could do, and I know a lot of people that I've talked to do do that, but that's not something that we've tapped into yet. When you're making these calls, if there's no answer, there's two options. You can hang up or leave a voicemail. What do you do? We definitely leave a voicemail. I prefer voicemails. We can get through a lot more calls that way. Uh, and it's, it, you know, it's just a real simple message. Hey, I was thinking of you guys. If you guys ever need anything, just let us know. And um, just really appreciate your business and keeping us in mind. I mean, it, it's a maybe a 30-second voicemail, and it allows us to move on to the next one and be able to keep that numbers game going. When you're talking to someone on the phone, do you ask directly for business and referrals? You know, my line is just, if you, if you ever come across any friends or family that's looking to buy or sell real estate, just keep us in mind. That's really, that's how I say it. It's not, I don't know if you would consider that direct asking for it, but it's my soft approach of... Uh, just having them keep me in mind. Every mailing we do, I mean, the bottom of it says, we appreciate all your referrals. So they know that we're obviously looking for referrals through the process. I'm always mentioning that our businesses run on referrals. So it's not new information to them that we want them to keep us in mind when, when they're out there talking to people as well. You call for an hour. I think you called it an hour of power. What time of the day are you calling? Do you try to strategically set it for certain hours? Does it float? Is it always the same time each day? For years, I've, I've struggled with that to try to figure out the right timing. And what it comes down to is if, if it's not in my calendar, it will not happen. Other things will happen. Closing issues will happen, a listing appointment, whatever the case is. But once I've focused on that that's my most productive hour a day, um, I try to do it in the morning. So... My typical day starts out at 9.15. We have what's called a team huddle, which is a five-minute conversation, 10-minute conversation with my administrative staff just to kind of everyone get on the same page of what today looks like. And then uh, at 9.30, between 9.30 and 10.30, that's when I'm doing my hour of power, calling those clients, calling new prospects, and so forth. And then from 10.30 to noon, that's returning phone calls and returning emails, you know, people that I needed to get back to with a counteroffer or, you know, an email that I need to get back to for a client. That's when I do that. 12 to 1 is lunch, and then 1 to, one to 6 o'clock is when I try to book appointments. I do allow one day of flexibility in that because we know that not everyone can meet between 1 and 6. Some people need to meet in the morning. Some people need to meet at lunchtime. So I try to have one day of flexibility to be able to accommodate, you know, whatever type of appointments don't fit into that, what I call an ideal day. In that hour, how many calls can you make? It depends. Some days I get a PAC client that likes to talk for 20, 25 minutes. So I only make five to seven phone calls. But on a typical day, uh, I can usually get through 15 to 20 phone calls, get the notes that I need to be taken care of and, and and move on. So 15 to 20 is probably typical. Let's get back to your database for a minute. Who goes into that database? You're saying anyone that you've done business with or come in contact with goes into that database. Is that correct? Correct. Anybody I've ever shaken hands with will go into that database. So it could be um, a lender. It could be a title company. It could be uh, the waitress that just waited on me at Longhorn and um, 
She said she was looking at buying two years down the road. Uh, we'll look her up and, you know, to try to get some information and get, get them in the database. Uh, any buyer call, seller call that we've ever gotten, any appointment that I've ever went on to. Um, anybody that's looking to buy real estate or sell real estate in the future is going to be going into that database. So it's a rather large, I mean, I think when we pull a mailing, I think we have six to 7,000 people in that, in that database. So it's, it's a very large database. But it's, it's important, you know, if we're looking to do a lot of volume, we have to get out in front of a lot of people. Your database is about six to 7,000 people. That's, that's a large database. Do you ever weed down the database or pull people out? The only time that they get pulled out of the database is if we get a mailing back from them that they've moved or they're out of the area or, they, or we just can't find a new address for them, then at that point they will be deleted from our database. So it's, it's going out to a lot of people. It's, it's definitely you know, not specific to our, just our past clients or just you know, our vendors or whatever the case is. So it does go out to a lot of the people, but at the same time, I've had people that have had a listing that expired four years ago, and they are in that database, and they still get something from us once every two months or so. And I get those type of phone calls that, you know, my listing expired four years ago. You're the only person that's kept in contact with me. Can you come over and talk to me about listing my house? So it's very broad, but it's, it's covering everyone, and we want to we be in front of the person when they're ready to, to buy or sell. What kind of information do you try to collect on each person that goes into that database? Name, address, phone number if we can get one. And then we try to put some type of note in there. So uh, like for that expired that called, we would have a note in there, expired. My administrative staff would put in there like expired. July of 2007, so we would know this was an expired back back then. But other than that, it's pretty much simple information like that. Do you send out emails to this group of people? No, we do not. Nope, that's probably something that would be more cost-effective, um, but it's something that we just never tackled. If somebody wanted to start generating more referral business, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you think they should know? I just think with referral business, and a, a big, big part of our business is referral business, um, I think that hour of power, and even if you just start off with 30 minutes a day, but just doing that produces big results. Uh, if you're not comfortable doing that, I would say move to handwritten notes and um, get, just get in front of your past clients and, and your sphere of influence, and then asking. Um, I think asking for that business is critical and just setting the stage from the first time you start working with them to the very end, they know that your business is run on referrals and, and they appreciate and they really enjoy helping you build your business. One small thing that we do is anytime we get any referral, uh, if it pans out that it's going to be business or if it's not going to be business, we keep a stack of Starbucks gift cards in our in my uh, listing manager's desk. And anytime we get any type of referral, um, we send out a $5 gift card to whoever referred us. And it's, we call it a thanks a latte. And it, it, we just send it out to them. 
and without even knowing if it's going to turn out to business. If someone mentioned our name in a good way, we're going to, we're going to reward them and thank them for it. And people send us thank you cards for that $5 gift card, and people really appreciate that, and we appreciate them giving our name out. So somebody gives you a referral, you send out that thank you card with the gift card inside. Do you also make a phone call to the referrer? Time permitting, we will, but usually just the gesture of the hand of the, the thanks a latte card is enough. But if I have extra time in my calling hours, I definitely will do that. Or if it's I have several clients that will refer me three to four people a year. Anytime I get someone like that, I always call them and want to keep that train going. So I want to give them a call and just thank them personally. How are you generating expired business? So what happens with our expired program is my closing manager every morning pulls the new expireds and uh, pulls them, puts them on my desk, and I go through them and pick which ones I want to, to solicit to. There are some that are, you know, just I know the area is going to be hard to sell or that price point is going to be hard to sell. Um, or there's ones that are in our market area that I know that we could really do these clients um, a good job. So I go through, give that back to her, and then she launches through Top Producer our expired program. Our expired program lasts a total of, I think it's eight weeks, and um, it's very heavy in the front, meaning every three days they get a letter or something from us but then it also extends longer than most other agents. So most other agents may send stuff for a week to maybe two weeks, where ours is going to extend out to eight weeks. So not only do we want to hit them first and with some innovative stuff, but we also want to be the last one that they see. Uh, so if they're taking a break for a month or six months, they're still going to be hearing from us through our, our monthly mailers. So uh, our first couple mailings, we try to be a little bit creative. So some of the things that we've done uh, or that we do on this program is um, uh, the first mailing, I believe, is a, a bag of popcorn. And it just says, um, you know, Jose Medina and Associates have popping good ideals to get your house sold. So if they're getting 10 letters from realtors and then they get a package from us, again, it's going to set us apart right away. Uh, and then the second mailing we do is um, it's called a needle in a haystack. So it's actually a little box, and it has some, some hay in it, and it has our card in it, and attached to our card is a needle. And it says um, finding a good realtor is like finding uh, a needle in a haystack. Um, so it's some, something, again, that's going to stand out from everyone else's standard letters that's going to get us a phone call versus someone else. And so they do, and I, I'm not sure 100% on everything that they send out because my staff has tweaked it and, and made adjustments. I know that those two are kind of the more innovative pieces. Uh, but then there's a series of letters, and again, they, they're going to stay on our system until, until we get notification that they don't want to be on our system anymore or that they've moved or whatever the case is. You mentioned some of the packages you send out. The rest of them, are they letters? Do you also send postcards, or, or is everything inside an envelope? Well, those first two are not going to be in a they're not going to be in a standard envelope. Then the rest, I do believe, are in an envelope. Uh, what, we have a moving truck, so one of them is um, a certificate to use our moving truck if they 
if they just reach out to me basically. So if they if they call me and say I've been getting your stuff, uh, I just I'm interested in talking to you about whatever you know whatever it is that you can do with your marketing program. Then even if they don't hire me, I give you know they have that certificate and they are able to use our moving truck. It's very rare that they actually do that, uh, but it's just a token of how to get in front of them and then to also let them know about our moving truck. How many pieces of mail, how many contacts do you think you make in that eight weeks? I would say there's probably a total of 15 to 20 pieces of mail that go out. So the other part of that system is on a daily basis, my closing manager is monitoring the MLS to make sure that we're not sending something to someone that maybe they relisted with their old agent or they relisted with another agent. So, you know, there may be 15 to 20 pieces that would have went out, but if they've relisted already in another week, we stop that system so we're not bombarding them and wasting our, our mailing. Do you also make a phone call or drop by a knock on their door or is it all mail? It's all mail. Um, and actually, one of the, the pieces of mail that goes out to them is it's a Remax note card and it, it looks like it's handwritten, but it's just it's printed out. And it it kind of sells us on that, you know, and it says, I know over the last week you've probably gotten a lot of phone calls uh, from other agents, and I know that that can be annoying. We're going to respect your privacy and um, leave it to you if you would like to contact us. Here's a way to contact us, but we don't want to invade your privacy. So, something along that line that kind of sets the stage of we're kind of being respectful. And that actually works to our benefit because we, don't, we wouldn't have time to call those people anyways. And it just kind of sets us apart that we're not going to be one of those realtors that calls every day until we get an appointment. What happens at the end of the eight weeks? Do you stop sending them information or do you keep going if they haven't listed? If they haven't listed or if they haven't just been in contact with us, they just automatically then go on to our sphere of influence database. So our top producer database, if they've, you know, we just never heard from them, they just continue to go in. And then so they will be on the mailing list at, you know, those six mailings a year that we do, they'll just automatically be put onto that list. What is your success ratio? If you were to start this program with 100 expireds, how many do you think you would list? I would say probably one out of 10, we end up at least getting an appointment with. And then from that point, we know that 50% of our listings that we go on, we end up getting. So that would be what, one out of 20, we would end up listing. Is there anything else that you think we should know about the expired program? From experience, we've tweaked it over the years. I think it's important, one, to be consistent and innovative up front with whatever you're sending to them. If I had more time or if I was a new agent, I would probably hand deliver whatever item I was going to because it's a way for you to get in front of them. And again, it would separate you. So if I had more time, I would definitely do that. And then I think the second part of that is to be the last agent standing. So don't just hit them hard for two weeks and then forget about them because probably half of the expireds that we list are over a month or two off the market. So you want to be the first and innovative, and then you want to be the last agent standing as well. You're pursuing for sell by owners. What are you doing there? My listing manager pulls up any new for sell by owners on Monday morning that, we that she found in the newspaper. And um, we have another similar program that has the popcorn 
and it has the needle in the haystack, again, just to be a little bit innovative. There is a, I think it's a six-week program that just, it's all mailings. We, we don't do any phone calls, but it's just letters introducing us to them. Uh, it's helpful information. Uh, so, for example, we will send out a copy of the lead-based paint disclosure and say, since you're selling your house, this may be helpful information. Many for-sale buy owners don't know that they, if the house was built prior to 1978, you have to have a lead-based paint disclosure. Here's a complimentary one. And then the next one is the same type of letter, but with the property disclosure. So it's just opening up a dialogue that we're here to help them and that we're the local expert. And if they have any questions, that we'd be more than happy to help them out. Or if they have any concerns about being able to sell their house, we would be able to we would be willing to talk to them about how we can help so it's mostly just letters and just introducing us and our track record and, and being helpful and then when they're ready they will hopefully give us a call i will say that the last couple of years the number of for sale by owners have been going down so the number of for sale by owners that we have sold in the last couple of years have been have been down when the market was better, there was more for sale by owners, thus more opportunity to convert them. Now, I think maybe last year we may have sold three to five for sale by owners that, you know, we ended up converting three to five that ended up being sales. You also are receiving referrals from other agents. How are you stimulating that? How is that happening? So I have uh, several commercial agents in town that all they do is commercial. And so... I am able to send them commercial business, and then they send me their residential business, which is a win for both people. So finding that referral partner, you know, if someone's looking at building their business, making those contacts and networking with those type of agents, I think would be important. And then just through being the top agent in the county, um, we have a good reputation with other agents. So it's nothing that we're necessarily saying that we'll go out and we publicize and we want to help agents that are getting out of the business or anything. It's just kind of a natural flow. I've had probably three or four agents in the last 18 months to 24 months that have gotten out of the business and then have sent us business for family members or people that have contacted them. If we were looking at soliciting some business, you know, we could pull every month who is not renewing their license and add them to our sphere of influence and just make, maybe make a contact to them. You know, that's just a natural fit for them to be still getting some leads of people that are wanting to buy or sell. But we've never actively pursued that. It's just something that has happened to us. The people that were getting out of the business, were these people that you knew? Were they in your company or were they just people around town and just looked you up? People that actually have not been in the company. They've just been in other companies and have appreciated working with us and we have a good reputation. So they want to be able to give their family member or their friend or their neighbor someone that would do a good job and they know that, that we will. You mentioned that you are making an exchange of leads with commercial brokers. How did you find those people? Just actively networking with those type of people, just kind of putting two and two together. We know that they don't do residential. We know that we don't do commercial. So it's a natural fit, just like having a lender fit or a title company fit a natural fit to go out and seek those type of agents and through our sphere of influence like for example my financial planner is friends with the person who owns a large commercial brokerage in town 
So he connected us together. We went out to lunch and exchanged leads and built that relationship. How many of these commercial broker, commercial agent relationships do you have? There's three agents that send me business and and keep me in mind when they have a, a residential need. You've mentioned your moving truck. Talk to us about your moving truck. Our moving truck is something that we invested in. It's probably been about at least five years. It was something that we bought. We, we had the option of leasing it or buying it. We bought it up front. And uh, it's been one of, the, one of the, the better things that we've done. It's very visible. People around town know that we have it. So what it is, is it's a 15-foot moving truck that is free to uh, any of our past clients, our current clients. Really anybody that wants to use it can use that truck. We also give it free to nonprofit and charity organizations as just a way to give back to our community. So that has been uh, a real benefit um, for name recognition. It's a, it's a big moving billboard throughout town because it has a picture of us on it. Um, it's basically a big moving uh, billboard. We also, to help offset the cost, we've uh, sold uh, advertisements on it. So we have one mortgage company on it, and then we have two title companies on the back. We had the initial investment of buying the truck, but actually after that point, it's actually a small profit center for us because um, we have the advertisements that come in off of it, and all our costs now are repair costs and insurance costs. It actually makes us a little bit of money every month on it. The tricky part of it is the coordination of it. You have to have staff available to sign up of whoever's using it, coordinate to schedule whoever's going to be using it for the weekend. And But overall, it's definitely been worth it because the name recognition, the appreciation that people get. We've gotten people that have sent us gift cards because we let their church use it for uh, their big garage sale. I mean, it's just a very good marketing marketing system that we've invested in. Describe what it looks like on the side. Does it have a picture of you? Yeah, so on the side it has a, a big picture of me holding a sold sign, and it has our, our logo. It says, Jose Medina Associates, the best movie you'll ever make. On the, it has the Remax information on the side. And then on the back panel is where we have the two title companies. And then on the top of the back panel, I believe it says, you're following another free move by Jose Medina and Associates. And then on the side panel, like the doors, is where the mortgage company is. Uh, and they came up with their logo and put it on there and stuff. And then on the front, like the front on top of where the cab is, and that's a place where everyone can see it, it says, buy or sell with me, and you can use our moving truck for free. So basically from every angle, you're able to see us and, and see us being marketed throughout the community. You said you purchased this truck. Did you buy it new or used? I bought it new. In hindsight, I probably would have bought one used. I could have saved myself some money. But at that time when I was looking, it seemed like all I could come across was new ones. But it's worked out great. I mean, we've had it for five years. I think we've only got forty to 50,000 miles on it because most of the moves are local and just not getting a lot of mileage on it but it's being used. It's probably being used three-fourths of the time it's out on the road. So it's great publicity because it's not just sitting in our parking lot. It's been, it's in every community, basically. So it's being used more than just at the end of the month. It's also being used during the middle of the month. Absolutely, yeah. We have uh, several local 
nonprofits that use it once a month or once every two weeks for you know whatever I'm not even sure what they use it for, but they use it, and I'm more than happy. I'd rather have it going around town than sitting in my parking lot. What was the cost up front? The initial investment I think was somewhere between twenty five and thirty thousand dollars, which seems like an awful lot, and it is an awful lot, but for all of the the publicity we've gotten out of it, it's it's well worth it, much well worth it. And then I think it was probably an additional two to three thousand to get the graphics on, and then the sponsors are responsible for putting on their own graphics, so they incur that cost. Did you finance that, or did, were you able to pay with that with cash? And then did you have payments on it? For the first year, we had payments on it, and then we paid it off. And so now there's there's no there's no payment on it. The only expense that we have is the repairs and the insurance on it now. Insurance is actually not really as bad as what people think, and that's that's been a, a topic, hot topic. Other realtors always ask me, how do you insure that? And there's companies out there. Um, one company that I know of that does ours is called On The Move. That's what they do is they insure those type of vans. What does the insurance run on that truck? I think it's like 200 It's right around $200 a month. So uh, that's our set cost. And then we have some, you know, if there's repairs or whatever, we have that. But our, our sponsorships, one of the sponsorships, the lender pays $250 a month, and then both title companies each pay $150 a month. So you can see it more than takes care of itself every month. You are able to protect yourself with insurance. Do people have to assign some type of waiver if they use the truck? Yes. The insurance company that we have it with on the move, they provide forms and they provide um, everything that we need basically through them. And so my closing manager is the one that's responsible for scheduling and uh, signing up people. So she has her whole set of things that she has to have the people sign, their, their copy of their driver's license, their insurance card, et cetera. And then we're able to give them keys at that point. But she has a whole system of things that she needs to have signed before they're able to take the truck. Where do you park this truck when it's not being used? That has been one of the bigger struggles with having the truck. We just recently moved buildings. We were with the same brokerage, but we moved buildings. The place that we're at now has a huge parking lot, so we park it there, and it's actually in a pretty visible spot. But prior to that, it was parked on the side of our building, which had absolutely no exposure. It probably ruffled a couple agents' feathers because um, it was on the side of the building, and when people pulled up, they could see it. So their clients got to see my moving truck. But throughout the years, that's been a struggle as far as where we were allowed to park it, working with our broker to make sure we don't ruffle too many feathers. And But now we've got it situated where it's in a big parking lot. It's tucked in the back, but it's visible, and it doesn't seem to be creating any issues. You said it's visible, but it's tucked in the back. Is it near a street where people can see it when they drive by? Yes, it's tucked in the back. We're on kind of an intersection, so our parking lot is actually on two different streets. So it works out great. It's tucked in the back, so it's kind of a wave, but you can still see it from the street. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. 
That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Have you ever had anybody get in an accident or have any other liability challenges with that truck? Yeah, absolutely. It's part of part of owning it is you, you do have that, that headache, if you will. Um, I've had it break down two hours from where we're at, uh, which, is, which was a struggle to try to get it back and get it fixed. Accident-wise, we've had a couple small fender benders, someone taking it through a drive-through when they shouldn't have because of the overhead clearance. And, and you know, it, it all works out. The clients are, are happy to coordinate whatever they need to do to make it correct. And, but it is part of having, you know, it is a little bit of a headache with that respect, but the payoff is definitely worth it. In that situation, did the client pay for the deductible with the insurance, or did you pick that up? No, that's part of the forms that... Uh, my closing manager goes over with the client is they're responsible for the deductible if something were, you know, if you were to get in an accident. And so they, they have picked it up and they feel horrible at that point anyway. So it's usually no issue at all. Are you generating business from your signs? We are. For our buyer specialist, those are very profitable and probably the best type of leads. So on our sign, we have uh, it's a traditional Remax sign. It has my cell phone number on the sign, which my cell phone is often directed to my office. So if I'm in an appointment, one of my buyer specialists can take that buyer phone call right away without it going to voicemail for an hour. So that's a key component is to be able to con- convert that buyer lead right away and not have it sit in your voicemail while you're in a listing appointment or showing houses. Uh, so getting back to them right away is important. Also on our signs, we have um, a texting system where they can pull up to our house and um, text a phone, text a number to a phone number and get back immediate information on that house. Uh, and then if they reply back to that, they can actually get pictures sent right to their smartphone, which people seem to really like. Uh, and then uh, we also, on our sign, we have a rider that just has our, our website so people can be directed there as well. The key with the texting is as soon as they text us to get information, that system also sends out to us a text that says, this phone number just texts about this property. And so we get that information. So we're able to do the follow-up to say, hey, I saw you called about 123 Main Street. I don't know if you knew it had a finished lower level and really nice private backyard, and just send that person a text with a follow-up to try to convert them and get them into the property. You said you were able to capture their phone number. Do you or your buyer agents uh, call them, or do you just text them? What was the follow-up after you received their number? After we received their number, our buyer specialist texts them. We figured if they're proficient enough in texting, that's probably their preferred method. So we usually just send out, I think they send one or two texts after that just to try to do some follow-up to see if it's a warm lead or if it's someone that's getting information in the paper or something. Okay, so you're not going to call that number? No, they do not call that number. Did you say you have 800 number or IVR that they can contact you off that sign as well? We do. This past year, we switched from the 1-800 IVR system to the texting system, but we still do have the IVR, and we use that in our newspaper ads as well as we post it on our website, and so we still get the 1-800 IVR system. The system that we have provides both. It provides the texting and the 1-800 IVR system, 
and that system's through I think it's Digital Home Info is the company that we use. Why did you switch to texting? Are you seeing a higher response from the text system versus the 800 number system? The reason we switched was we had we've had the IVR 1-800 system for years and we started to see a decrease in the amount of those calls as well as we were finding that other agencies and other agents were starting to implement that. So in an effect to try to be ahead of the curve, basically, we, um, we wanted to try something a little bit different and, and go that route and um, just try to be a little bit more cutting edge. And it's a, it's a wow system, too, for our listings. They seem to think that that's really impressive. So it's something that we promote in our listings. The phone numbers on the sign, are all the phone numbers going to you directly, or is there a phone number that goes to the office? goes to me directly. And then through my iPhone, I have the ability to direct my phone calls wherever I want them. So if it's the weekend and I'm out playing with my kids, I can have all the phone calls directed to my buyer agent that's on duty. So again, that fo- those phone calls are getting answered right away, prompt response, and leads to a better lead conversion the quicker you can get back to a buyer. Are you also putting a flyer box on the sign, or are you forcing everyone to either call or text? We are not doing flyer boxes, and the way I sell that to my sellers is, one, it's a time and logistical nightmare, because with 70 to 80 listings, you're constantly filling up flyer boxes for neighbors to take them. Logistically, it would be really tough for us to handle, but the way we can sell it to a client is... um, I want a chance to talk to the prospective buyer about the house. And I can sell the house a lot better than a flyer can. So I'm going to encourage them to get a hold of us before just taking up a flyer and dismissing it where we can sell it a lot better than than a piece of paper can. How about sold signs? Are you putting up any sold signs? Oh, yeah. Sold signs are a big part of our marketing program. I mean, as soon as we are able to put up a sold sign and we do it because we know that sold signs make other people, other sellers call. So we, we try to get them up as soon as possible and keep them there as long as possible because we know that neighbors see that and it's good recognition for us. And it usually ends up being that we are able to get some more uh, traction out of that house that we sold by just having a sold sign up. What type of newspaper advertising are you doing? People listening to this across the U.S. probably think we're ancient because we still do newspaper ads. And it is very expensive, but it is also very productive for us. We do, um, our local area has a newspaper that comes out uh, with a real estate section on it every Saturday. So two weekends out of the month, we take the back cover page, which is full color, and we, we have that as a promotion. We promote ourselves as much as our listings. Uh, I firmly believe sellers call on image and results. So we're promoting that we sell a house every 50-some hours. We're promoting uh, you know, how many houses we sold last month and the results that we're able to get. Uh, probably a third of our ad is, is dedicated to us promoting ourselves to try to get more business and, and beef up that reputation business. 
Uh, and then the rest of it is is focused on um, you know open houses that we're doing, or new listings that we're having, or price adjustments that we're doing. And we usually will either throw in the 1-800 system, the IVR system, or the text system, as well as our uh, website to drive people to any one of those. So you've added the text system to the newspaper ad as well. Correct. Yep. And we we try to rotate it. Um, to either do the texting system or the 1-800 system just to give people different options. So you don't advertise them at the same time. You can call the 1-800 number or you can text. Right. We switch them on and off. With trying to get as many listings in there as possible, it just if we give them too many options, it becomes the print becomes very small and, and not productive. How many properties are you able to advertise in one shot on that back page? I think we usually fit in 30 to 40 houses, uh, so we, w- we do have to rotate our listings through there, and our sellers know that. And the way we're able to explain that to them is, if your listing is not in there, a similar type listing will be in there. So if your house is a four-bedroom, two-bath in a certain neighborhood for 200000 and we can't get your house in there, we're going to put something in there similar, which is just going to generate buyer phone calls, then at that point we can let them know about all of our inventory, or it directs them to our website so they can see all of our inventory. The reality is our newspaper ads are more for our sellers and for our business than it is to generate buyer leads. We do get some buyer leads off of it, but you know, to be completely upfront, we get a lot more business because uh, we, you know, they want to see their house in the ad, and so they want to list with us because of that they see our, our ad that we're selling a lot of houses and that we're active and they want to be with an agent like that. Did you say you're advertising on that back page weekly? Twice a month. How much does something like that run? It runs about $1,200 each ad. So it is, it's very expensive. It's a, probably our most expensive thing that we're doing on a consistent basis. But the way that I can justify it is um, we do get a lot of reputation business and a lot of people saying that they see our ads, so we can justify it that way. The one way I can sell it to a seller is a lot of agents in our marketplace have dropped it, have dropped newspaper advertising, and I'm, my sell to them is in a tough market, my job is to set your house apart from everyone else. And all these other realtors are dropping the newspaper ads because they haven't figured out a way for it to work for them. We have figured out a way for it to work. And um, we're doing more marketing than what we were four years ago because we know it's more competitive out there. So we have to do more marketing to, to set your house apart from everyone else. So while everyone else is dropping ads, we're, we're increasing our ads. We have that back cover page, and the weeks that we don't have it, the second largest brokerage in town has it. So by hiring me as your realtor, you're getting more marketing than the second largest brokerage in town has for all of their agents, and they may have 70 agents in that office, and you're getting me advertising much more aggressively than, than those other agents. Do you know what the circulation is on that newspaper? I'm not sure. I know it's, uh, it's the, the county-wide newspaper. So it goes out to quite a few people. And is that your only newspaper in your area? There are two smaller ones, but they're nothing in compared to the, to the one that we market in. So that's the main newspaper? That is the main newspaper. Are you advertising on the Internet? We are. We have 
our own personal site, which is josesellshomes.com. That's our main site. We also have called Number One Expert. They're a website management company. They, they provide a Number One Expert site. Um, and they also provide some marketing at homes.com as well. We also do realtor.com. We pay for the enhanced listings there, which seem to have pretty good results as well. Are you generating business from those internet presence? Yes. Uh-huh. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there is a pretty good percentage when we look back that we've captured from homes.com or realtor.com for my buyer specialist that they've ended up converting into an actual sell. I, I would say, you know, just as a tip, you could spend all your money online, I mean, very easily. Um, I think you just pick and choose what you think is important, what's popular in your marketplace, and um, really experiment and keep accountable the the money that you're spending on those leads. Are you interacting with any of the social media online? We do a little bit with that. We have our own Facebook page for our team. We have people that follow us there. And basically what, what we just do is we provide fun, fun topics for our Facebook updates. Um, it's not, you know, here's a new house that we listed or we just sold this house. It is you know, this weekend is the Hall of Fame parade, who's going out to it, um, or it's, you know, we just moved into our new office, here's our office pictures, or uh, we're having a Chipotle lunch at our office um, for the team, and everyone's enjoying it. You know, just stuff like that that's more what I think people want to see on Facebook, not, not getting sold on us. You've given us a lot of ways that leads are coming into your business how do you capture these leads and track them? Are all the leads going into, I think you mentioned, top producer? Yep. Well, seller leads are followed up between myself and my listing manager, and those don't go into any type of drip system until we've actually set like an appointment. But we, we just work on those leads when, when they come in and um, call them back right away and, and get the appointment set up. Our buyer system provides a little bit more follow-up. They have a back-end system, the number one expert, where they can put a drip system on and a lead that maybe looks like it's six months away from actually doing anything. They have a, a way to go back into the back end of that system and provide a, a drip campaign that it's going to keep in contact with that person for however long they set up the system for. The drip campaign, that's a series of emails that's going to go out to this buyer? Yep, a series of emails that goes out to them and then my buyer specialists are responsible for keeping that maintained and making sure that if they are working with someone, that you know they take them off that drip campaign, so it's not they're not getting random emails when we're actually already working with them. But it's a way for us to be able to work with the hot prospects and not have to remember to follow up with someone. It just automatically drips on them until they're they're ready to go. When the leads come in, let's walk through what happens. Let's start with a seller lead. We have what we call a red sheet, which is a seller questionnaire. And um, what that basically does is most of the time, my listing manager is going to be able to fill that out. So what that is going to provide is it's going to run through a bunch of different questions, um, you know, name, address, do you still live in the property, how long have you lived in there, Tell me a little bit about the house, what's unique about the house, uh, how much is owed on the house, uh, when Jose comes out to meet with you, will you be ready to get the house on the market right away, which tells me there's sense of urgency. 
we always want to find out what they think the house is worth before we actually go out there. So the way it says it on our red sheet is it says, uh, Jose will be doing a computerized market analysis on the property. Can you tell me what price range of homes would be comparable to find your type of a house? And so what that allows them to do is give us a range of, well, it's 120 to 130. Well, if we know it's really worth 90, we know that that might not be an appointment to go out on. So it runs through everything, you know, ask them what they owe on the house. And so at the end of the time, then what happens is uh, once she gets all that information, then uh, my listing manager will go ahead and set the appointment. She has my schedule and she can go ahead and coordinate things and, and set the appointment, which I think is important because you don't want to, you know, I know when I make a call to set up an appointment for, say, a doctor or something along that line, um, I don't want to be put on hold. I don't want to have to call back. I don't want to have someone call me back. She has the ability to just go ahead and set it up on my schedule and get that taken care of. And then once it's set up, she also gets their email address, which also allows us to send out our pre-marketing book, or we call it, we refer to it as our master marketing book, which we email out to them right away, and we ask them to look over it prior to me getting there. Uh, and what that does is it, it pre-sells them on us and how we work. So that all happens, you know, when they call, that all happens within the first 10 minutes, and it's put into my appointment book, and then we're, we're set to go with that. How long of a time period did she try to set for that appointment? How long is the appointment going to be for? We let them know that up front, that our appointment will take anywhere between an hour and an hour and a half, depending on how many questions, and, and you know, depends on how big the house is as well, too. Let's switch over to buyers for a minute. The buyer lead comes in. Do you have a similar process, a similar sheet? We do not. That's probably something that we could work on. Since those leads are going out to my buyer specialist directly, we have less tracking of that, and that's kind of their responsibility is to maintain that they are the ones tracking it and, and following up on those leads. So we don't have a lead coordinator per se that, that tracks all of that that's kind of on their, their honor roll system that they're following up and, and making the most out of each one of those leads. Is there a formal follow-up program for buyers? Your buyer agent gets the buyer lead. Do they put them into some type of system that will standardize your follow-up, or is it at the discretion of your buyer agent to choose how they're going to follow up? It's at the discretion of my buyer's agent. They have the capability of putting them in the drip campaigns, um, just depending on how hot or how cold that lead is, but that's at their total discretion. Let's talk about sellers. How many listings do you currently have? We have between 70 and 80 right now. What do you think is your number one source of seller leads or seller business? Uh, reputation, by far. People that just see our signs everywhere, they want to go with an agent that's getting results. When we say reputation, that could fall under a couple of things. That could be our sold signs in the neighborhood. That could be our newspaper ad. That could be our moving truck. That could be uh, just that they see our signs everywhere throughout the community. Sellers have a lot of options today. Why would a seller hire you? What is your competitive advantage? Good question. We offer a couple things that are different than most of our competitors around here. One of the things that we offer and puts a, a seller at ease is an easy exit listing. So what that is basically, Mike, is um, if at any point a seller wants to be let out of a listing agreement, 
At any point, they can be let out of the listing agreement with no strings attached. What that does, especially for expired listings, that really puts them at a sense of ease because they probably just got out of a bad relationship with their realtor that may have not communicated the way they wanted or, or provided the service that uh, the seller had wanted. So this automatically puts them right at ease to know that if they're not happy with me, they can fire me. The other way I sell that to them is that they know that I'm not an agent that's just there to put up a sign and forget about them. They know every day that I have to get up and re-earn my business for them or at any point they can let me go. So that's a really big selling point. We also try to sell them on the team concept. I don't believe that people hire me because I have a team, but I think I can sell them on why it is good for us to have a team. And, and the points that I like to point out is no matter if I'm on vacation or if I'm in the backyard playing with my kids, uh, you will always have someone working for you. So if that buyer phone call comes in and I'm in a listing appointment or on vacation, that buyer phone call is going to be answered right away and you're going to um, get the proper service to that buyer that, that is required. Uh, the other part of that is if I'm in a listing appointment and you call and you need brochures, that phone call is going to get answered right away by my listing manager and she's going to be able to get you brochures right away. Uh, with having a closing manager as well, you don't have to wait to find out about the inspection results or if the title came back okay or the appraisal came back okay. Just having a team concept allows us to have several people working for our client at any given time and making sure that they're getting the service that they need no matter how busy or how slow I am. Some of the other competitive points that we like to point out is that um, we have several marketing programs that are different than our competition, meaning the texting system, we have the IVR system, we have the number one expert site, we have uh, the moving truck, which just allows for more publicity for our team. And probably the biggest benefit of hiring us is they're hiring an agent with more market knowledge than anybody else. So I, I, I let my sellers know, I'm in three to five listings a day. I know exactly what you know, after walking through your house and talking through comparables, I can tell you up front where I think the house is going to sell because you're not going to talk to anybody else that has more knowledge of the market or sees more contracts or sees more listings out there than me. So having that experience, having that knowledge gives you a competitive advantage to beat out the competition out there. And then also in respect to that too, we negotiate more contracts than anybody else in the market. So hopefully through our negotiation, we're able to get you maybe $1,000, $2,000, dollars more because we know the negotiation tactics that are going to be able to put you in a better position than hiring an agent that sells 10 houses a year. That easy exit listing concept you talked about, is there a fee that they have to pay to break your agreement? Absolutely not. There's no strings attached to it. And that's, I think, a key to it. You know, People always try to market things with, with strings attached to it, and ours is pretty much as simple as what I said. If at any point you're unhappy with us, just call us up, and we'll have the sign out of your yard in the next day, and you can list it with XYZ Realty the very next day. Well, that must be happening all the time. People must be canceling a lot. Absolutely not. It rarely happens, and that's one of the ways that we sell it is, um, you know, I say to the seller, the reality behind our agreement is, 
we have to be pretty good at what we do to offer this or else we wouldn't have any clients. And then they usually sit back and say, yeah, that's true. You know, if, if you weren't good at it, then you wouldn't have any clients. And, and it just tells us that we are legit and we are here to work for their best interest and to work hard for them. And that's all at the end of the day. That, that, that's what they want to know. They, they know, say, I can't guarantee I'm going to sell the house. I can't guarantee I'm going to sell it in a certain amount of time. I can't guarantee that I'm going to work hard for you and that you're always going to have access to myself and my team, and um, that the experience of working with us will be a positive one. And, and, and that's what they want. They know that it's a challenging market. They know that you know, I can't get them what they used to get five years ago, but they just want to know that they, they're hiring someone that's looking out for them. Now, you mentioned that the call comes in for these seller leads. You said typically your listing manager is sending the appointment. Is that correct? Correct. You use a pre-listing package. You called it a master something. We call it a master marketing book. It's basically our listing presentation that we send out to the client prior. And our hope is that they would read that. About 50% of it is about ourselves and what we do. The other 50% of it is about pricing your house correctly. So in an ideal world, the seller would have read that over. And um, we get to the house and we a I ask them, um, have you looked at it? Do you have any questions? And sometimes it's as simple as that and they've read it and, and we just kind of hit some other highlights and, and just move forward with listing it. Other times they haven't and so we walk them through everything that we do, pricing the house, comparables, all of that stuff. What percentage of the people do you feel have read that before you show up? Probably 60% of the people. So it's a pretty good percentage. You know, it's probably a total of less than 10 to 12 pages, so it's not something that's going to take them forever to read. Usually, depending, depending on their personality style, if they're very analytical, um, they've read it, they've proofread it, they've gave us suggestions on it. Um, it just depends on their personality style, too. When you go out on your listing presentation, do you do a one-step presentation where you're trying to get a listing signed that day, or do you do a two-step presentation where you intend to go back a second time or talk to them a second time to sign up? 95% of the time we do a one-step listing. The exception would be if it's a very high-end home and I need to actually see all of it to pull more accurate comps and to just spend more time on it, then we would do a two-step. But the majority of the time, it's, um, it's a one-step. And the way my, my listing is set up, when, we get to the, when I get to the house, I automatically ask that we can sit down and, dis and, and just meet first. From what I understand, most agents, first thing they do is they want to tour the house and then they sit down and talk. Uh, we, again, trying to be different than everyone else, we want to go to the kitchen table and sit down. And my, my objective there is to get them to know me, for me to get to know them, uh, and just to talk about what their situation is, what they're looking to do, what their objective is. The nice part about that is we get to know each other. My seller and I get to know each other. I get to know if it's going to be a quick appointment or a long appointment. And they can't ask me anything about value yet. So at that point, I'm just talking to them. They're, they're weighing me out. I'm weighing them out. But there's nothing yet about value of their house because I haven't seen their house yet, and I can't talk to them about if their house is worth 150 or 120. So it's it's a good way one if they've interviewed three realtors and I'm the only one that takes that approach. 
it kind of sets the stage that we're different. And then two, we're not even talking about value at that point yet. Do you go through your entire listing presentation before you tour the home? Depends on the situation, but most of the time, yes, I do. Because when we're sitting down, we're talking, we're finding out why they're moving, how soon they're looking to move, answering those type of questions. Have they talked to other realtors? I say, you know, have you had a chance to look at what we sent over? No, we haven't. Okay. Well, let's go over that. And then if you like everything that you hear and you think it's a good fit, why don't we tour the house and then talk specifically about your particular house? Do you ask them for a commitment to you before you'll tour the house? No, I have, I know several agents that have done that, but I, I have just haven't been able to pull myself to do that yet. But by the time I'm touring the house, I know pretty much if it's going to turn out that it's going to be something or if it's, if it's not going anywhere at that point. Do you use a canned or a standard listing presentation? Well, with our master marketing book, it naturally flows through a listing presentation, but... I think reading the person and reading their personality style is very important. So I alter it depending on what their situation is. If they're a high-functioning, bottom-line type person, I'm going to just bullet point it for them. If they could care less about what we're doing for marketing, we're not going to spend a lot of time on marketing. We're going to spend a lot of time on what they think is important and whatever they think is important. It's really hard to say, yes, I have this set presentation because every person is different. I think it's important just to figure out what's important to them. And by sitting down and talking to them, if I know that marketing is not important and they're already sold on me, I'm not going to spend a half an hour talking about what we're doing for marketing. Uh, But if I know that their last realtor didn't do this, didn't do that, didn't do this, I'm going to set my presentation up to kind of go where the other agent didn't and kind of sell them on how what what we do differently. So your written presentation is the same each time, but your choice of what you're going to highlight or focus on will vary. Absolutely, yeah. You've mentioned that you're going to modify that based on the personality profile of your client. What do you mean by that? What is a personality profile? We are big proponents of the DISC personality assessment. Throughout the the listing appointment, I'm trying to figure out what personality style they are. So figuring out what personality style they are, I can adjust what my personality style is to match them and to either speed up or slow down or, or take more time, depending on what style they are, to make sure that their experience is how they want it to be. Could you tell us a bit about this? What does that mean? DISC is um, just a personality assessment that you can take online. There's four characteristics, basically. A D personality is a very bottom line, very direct, kind of get results type person. An I personality is very social. They usually are uh, the life of the party, very talkative. Um, An S personality is a little bit more reserved. Their families are usually very important to them. They're usually not very big risk takers. And then the C personality, the cautious, is a lot of engineers, a lot of accountants are C personalities. They're very reserved, um, very analytical. Those are usually my longest appointments. So trying to figure out what personality style each one of them are. And then if there's there's a married couple, trying to figure out both of them and, and 
direct the appointment and the presentation to both styles to make sure you're keeping, you're keeping both of them engaged. And we do a lot with this personality. We, um, everyone on our team has, been, has done the test and we all know each other's. And then anytime we actually take a listing, on the listing we put down what type of personality style I think they are. So this way when my closing manager gets the, the file two months after we sold the house, she knows that the husband is a very high D personality and the wife is a very S personality. So when she's talking to each individual party, she knows how to correspond and communicate best with them. How do you handle a seller who wants to overprice the home? Never ran across that. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, that's a constant struggle we have, and I'm sure every realtor across the United States has that on a daily basis. Like I said, half of our marketing book is addressing that issue of pricing it correctly. Of the appointments that I go out, probably a large majority of them are wanting to price it higher than, than what market says. So my job is to just use the proper scripts and, and dialogues to talk them through the consequences of doing that, you know, how it's going to delay the sell price, it's going to eventually hurt the sell price if we price it too high, and, and really just showing them the data that says this house, two houses down, just sold for this price, how can we justify to a buyer that we're looking at this price? So it's really just an education process, and at the end of the day, there are some clients that we'll just have to walk away from because we know that they're not realistic at that point. Uh, we, in my office, we say we don't list houses, we list sellers. So what that means is the house is a house. Uh, what we're after is sellers that are realistic and motivated uh, because in this market, unless you're both of those, you're not going to have an opportunity to sell. So where it's really a, a numbers game as far as going out to a certain amount of appointments to be able to capture the right amount of motivated, realistic sellers. You mentioned that you use a script when you get a pricing objection. Can you think of one off the top of your head that you use? Sure. Well, you know, if they're really pushing and they're really wanting me to take the house for 150 when I know it's a 129 listing, at the end of the day, I will say I'd rather turn you down now than let you down later, meaning that I, I can't help you now because what, you, what you're wanting is just too much and I just can't, can't get you that. Um, so I'd rather end our relationship now than six months down the road you're, you're hiring another realtor because we couldn't get you what you wanted. So that leaves us open to down the road that once they do list it with someone else and it expires that they can call us back and, and we'd be happy to help them at that point. How do you handle commission objections? We rarely nowadays in this market get commission objections. <laughs> Usually we try to handle it with humor. So for example, if I say, okay, this is my commission, and they say, is that commission negotiable? I, I say, we can go higher if you'd like. Uh, and then we both laugh. And, um, and then I just explain to them, I say, you know, we want to make sure that we're offering a competitive co-broke to the other agent, and then we have to offer enough commission for us to be able to do the marketing that you want. Now, if you don't want all of this marketing, I'd be happy to, to go back through and see what we want to eliminate, um, but I, I don't think we really want to do that. We just kind of talk through that using some humor just to kind of 
break the ice a lot and, and saying, yeah, we can go higher if you'd like. You know, just it really kind of just breaks it. And it's it's usually one of those things where they think they have to ask it. So everyone tells them that they should ask it. And then we just move on past it. I assume that you're providing feedback to your seller about showings and some type of continual communication with them. Uh, how often is that happening and who's doing it? My listing manager handles that every morning. That's her first responsibility is to call the agents that showed our houses and to get them feedback. We also use um, Showing Desk, which uh, emails out the agent that showed it, uh, a survey as far as what they think about the house. And so her job is to, to basically get that feedback and get that back to the seller as soon as possible. So that's done on a daily basis. Who negotiates the offers when they come in, you or your listing manager? I handle all negotiations for all of the listings. That's part of the job that I really enjoy, and so I, I, and I like it, and I think that's where a really good agent can separate himself, and um, that I think our clients want me to be part of that process. So that's something I definitely do. Once your listing goes under contract, there's going to be an inspection phase. Who negotiates the inspection? Myself and my closing manager work through those issues with the seller. Uh, so it's a, it's a process that both of us, depending on how intricate it is, um, we jump in and out of it depending on who needs to handle stuff. When you close a listing, do you attend the closing? Something that we changed a couple years ago is we do all of our closings at our office. So that saved me a tremendous amount of time because before I was going, you know, with 150 some closings, that's a lot of time to be going to a, a closing, sitting through it, et cetera. So we've worked, all the title companies know that we do our closings at our office. So what that allows me to do is if I'm in the office when a closing is going on, I can stop in for two or three minutes, say hi, thank them, let them know that, you know, the keys are getting transferred this date and so forth. And it really took an hour and a half appointment down to five minutes because I can just stop in. And then my closing manager sits through all of the closing to make sure that everything gets signed properly if they have any questions and, and so forth. But that's really freed up a lot of my time. Let's talk about buyers for a minute. How many buyers are you currently working with? Myself? Not many. I, I don't work with that many buyers anymore. I have some investors that I work with and some very close referrals I will take, but uh, my job and my energies are, are more focused on trying to help sellers sell their house. You have buyer agents. Do you know approximately how many buyers your team is working with at any given time? It varies, but I'd say each buyer specialist is working with active, ready-to-buy buyers, probably five or so at any given point. And then we have other people that are just getting emails from us, the drip campaign, getting listings, et cetera. So we have a lot of people on the back end on our site that are, you know, kind of getting incubated and, and ready to buy, but not haven't done actually anything yet, but serious, le legitimate, ready to buy buyers. I mean, our buyer specialists are we're probably working with five to seven at any given point. When a buyer lead comes in and the buyer is ready to do something, do you sit down with that buyer in an appointment first or do you go out and meet them at the property? Depends on the situation, but 
most of the time they just go out and meet them at the property and try to convert them either with that property or, or another one. Now, if we get um, a referral into it, into the office, meaning someone calls us and says, hey, we referred to your team, what will happen is I, myself, and my buyer specialist, whoever is going to be working with that person, will have them come into the office. We'll do a 20-minute, half-an-hour presentation of working with us, kind of finding out what they're wanting, their time frames, et cetera. Uh, and then at that point, we'll go out and then start showing them houses. But if at all possible, we try to get them into the office to go over things first before we just start showing them houses. In your area, do you practice buyer agency or buyer brokerage? Yes. Do you require a buyer to sign up with you before you'll start showing them homes? We do not. It's not popular at all in our area. Uh, we do not do that. During that buyer consultation, we go over that and the loyalty and uh, explain it to them that it's just like a marriage and we're going to be 100% loyal to you and we expect for you to be 100% loyal to us. And we kind of set ourselves apart and say, you know, there will be some agents that will want you to sign an exclusive buyer agency. Uh, we don't take that approach. We, we want to go on a handshake. And so if at the end of the day you're happy with us, we just ask that you be loyal to us and, and we'll do everything we can to find you the best, um, best house out there at the best price. And so we just kind of set the stage and, and let them know our expectation that we're working 100% with you and uh, vice versa. You've mentioned your team a few times. Let's talk about your team. I have an amazing team, and I couldn't do any of this without them. They are, um, they are truly amazing. I have uh, a full-time listing manager, and she is responsible for getting feedback on our listings. She's responsible for implementing um, a lot of the marketing on our listings in the newspaper, online, entering the listings into the MLS, and so forth. Uh, she is full-time. She's been with me for, I think, a little over two years. Uh, I have a full-time closing manager who basically from the time I get a contract on a house to the time I close, she's handling all of the, the phone calls, the inspections, the title work, all of that type of stuff. She's doing that. She's been with me for four or five years, and she's really good. And then I have three buyer specialists Two have been with me for years. One has been with me probably for six or seven years. The other has been with me for three years. And they are responsible for working with buyers on a day-to-day -day basis, previewing our listings, and just working on the buyer side of the business. The third one we just hired actually this past week. She's a new agent. Uh, she's going through licensing right now, and she'll be a, a third buyer specialist doing the same responsibilities as the other two. For your buyer agents, do you have a quota system? Do they have to close a certain number of transactions each month or each year? Yeah, we have a very set contract in stone that we, we do every year. Uh, it does have a minimum transaction amount. It does have bonuses for hitting, for going over a certain amount of transactions a year, it spells out what I'm covering of their costs and what they're covering of their costs, goes over splits, goes over all of that. So everyone is on the same page throughout the year and we're not having to adjust on the fly. But we've rarely had any issues with the minimum. I mean, they're, they're experienced agents. They get enough leads. 
they do a very good job and they're very self-sufficient. They they run on their own, they take the leads and they, and they go with it. They have a minimum of, it's two a month is what it ends up being, two transactions a month. And, you know, it's not set in stone where if one month you miss, you don't get two transactions, you're off the team. There is that flexibility. As long as I know that they're working hard on their on their leads and they're doing everything they can to make the sales, that's that's what I'm after. But there is that minimum of two transactions a month in the contract. You have these five folks running around. A lot of new agents are thinking about building teams. They're worried about compensation. How do you compensate these people? Well, we didn't start off with just myself and then hiring five other people. Um, it, it's been a gradual process. Started off with someone part-time, then adding a buyer specialist, then full-time, and then as you go, you, you add. I think there's a lot of agents out there that want to add just to have, just to add, and we've never been of that approach. We've, we've just added because of necessity, um, meaning we, things are falling through the cracks or we needed to ramp up something. So that's why we've always added. Uh, I would just say having a team is great. You can have a, a, a really nice team. It is very expensive to run a team. So make sure that if you are looking to add a team that you're leading with revenue, meaning that you have the, you have the income there to provide for it. Uh, the one thing I will say is anytime we've added someone or we've, um, even if it's a part-time person, that person has more than more than paid for themselves. Uh, it's scary, especially hiring that first person. Um, but the things that you're doing uh, that you could hand off to a part-time person for $10 an hour, um, if, you're, if you're doing that, that's what you're getting paid. And so you need to figure out what stuff that you can easily hand off and what things that you don't like doing and, and hand those off. And it just always seems to work out for us at least that uh, anytime we've added someone, it's, it's been more than productive. Are these people paid a salary, hourly, or commission? My administrative team is paid hourly plus bonuses. So like my listing manager is paid a bonus per listing that we take. And then my closing manager is paid hourly plus bonuses of anything that we close, which is nice because if we're not as busy, you know, you don't have that much as much overhead. My buyer specialists are paid strictly commission on what they sell. Does the commission vary whether you generated the business or whether they generated the business? It does not, no. We've played around with different commission programs, but at the end of the day, it was just too complicated to see where the lead come from and did it really come from their sphere of influence or our sphere of influence and so forth. So it's just a set commission in the, in the contract. Is it a flat percentage on all transactions or does it grow with volume? Our commission for the buyer specialist is uh, and it's high compared to what I understand the industry averages are but uh, for teams. But for a buyer-side transaction that they close, uh, they get 60% commission, I get 40%. And that doesn't fluctuate based on who brings in the lead or how they got the lead. Any referrals that they bring in for the listing side, they have a, a friend or relative, whatever the case is, 
they get a 30% referral on the listing side, uh, but they are also responsible for doing some items with that, um, like following the, the contract through to closing. They do that instead of my closing manager. So it's set in stone, and then any month that they hit over three transactions on their fourth transaction, they get um, on the buyer side, they get I think it's like a 10% bonus or something like that on any transactions over three transactions a month. So there's a little incentive there to have a really good month. And it's, you know, it's not like the traditional program where you start out at the beginning of the year at the bottom of the, the commission structure and then you're building your way back up. It's, you know, motivation every month to try to keep it going. Do you prefer to hire experienced or inexperienced agents? Well, I just hired my first inexperienced agent, so I'm just first now going through that. There's there's positive and the negatives. I mean, uh, an experienced agent is going to have um, the experience. You don't have to do the training as much, but they also are going to come with their baggage and their their ways of doing things. Whereas a new agent, um, you're going to spend more time training them up front, but they don't come in with their mindset of of what they think is the right way to do things. So there's pros and cons. Is everyone licensed on the team? My listing manager and my uh, closing manager are not licensed. For anyone thinking about building a team, do you have any recommendations? Keep in mind it is expensive to do. Not trying to talk anybody out of it, but just know that it is more expensive to do that. Uh, and the only tip would be to start slow. Start with a, a part-time, 20-hour-a-week person to take some things off of your plate, and you can reallocate your time to doing more prospecting, more listing, more negotiating, and um, just build it slowly and only build I think build it by necessity. The only reason we're hiring people is because there's a need there and we see an opportunity to grow, not just to have a big team but not do any production. Jose, you've mentioned you've got these people running around. You have uh, several expenses. A lot of agents are going to want to know the question, are you profitable? Yes. The first, I've been doing this nine years, the first four to five years were not as profitable, even though they were in the real estate market good years, because I was spending so much to get this up and running and to get uh, our marketing in place to get us separated and get market share over the last three to four years have proved to be more profitable. I spend a, a lot of time looking at our numbers, making sure that we are profitable, making sure we're doing the right things to be profitable, making sure we're not spending too much money on certain things. So keeping an eye on the bottom line is very important to me. I don't care if we sell 180 houses or 150. If we sell 180 and I made less than what I did with 150, then we're not really doing the right things. So I really make sure that we're not spending money on stuff we don't need to before I write any checks. I always It goes through my mind, um, what would happen if I, if I didn't have this expense? Would my business be affected? And if, if I don't need it, then it's not something that I'm writing the check for anymore. Would you mind disclosing what your profit margin is as a percentage of revenues? We try to operate between 30 and 40% profit. And so after I pay salaries, commissions to my buyer specialists, marketing costs, REMAX costs, all of those type of things, I want to see 30 to 40% coming back to myself. How many hours do you think you work in a typical week? I would average probably right around 50. 
as we talked about before, my ideal day is pretty structured between 9 and probably 6.30 at night. And then uh, don't work Sundays. I do not work Sundays. Um, that's something that's very important to me is to be home with my family and to be able to uh, have that day completely off. And then Saturdays are pretty much by appointment. And it's pretty, you know, it's maybe one out of every three Saturdays that I have to take a couple appointments. So I try to stay structured Monday through Friday and have a life outside of real estate. What drives you? I'm rather competitive. <laughs> so uh, maintaining the number one agent in our area is, is really a driving factor and motivates me. I like structure. I like just competition. I like. I actually kind of like the challenge of this market that not any real estate agent can sell a house. It takes a, a special one that really knows the market and, and really knows how to, to get the house moved. Um, so that all motivates me. And, and probably the, the thing that motivates me the most is my family, just being able to provide for them the, the lifestyle that we want and, and not having to forfeit ridiculous amount of hours in the real estate market and, and having that balance. And, you know, throughout the years I've been told you can't have both, you can't have um, a strong family life. You can't have a strong business. It, you know, it, it's a really hard thing to balance, but the satisfaction of knowing that I can do both and um, have both things is, is a challenge, and, and that's what motivates me. Jose, why are you so successful? I think we're successful. One, we've been blessed by God that he's, he's found it, that he's blessed us with this. So it's, it's you know, nothing that we've done, but I think um, we approach it like a business. We work hard, um, and we always put the client first. And I think if you do those things, that they sound very fundamental, but uh, if you truly live out those things, that, you know, more will be given to you, I think. Jose, if you were to advise a brand new agent just getting into the business, what would you tell them to do first? Prospect, prospect, prospect get in front of your sphere of influence, get in front of lenders and, and title companies and in front of people that are buying and selling real estate. It's, um, I, when I first got in the business, my broker told me, the more contacts, the more contracts. And it's, it's so true. The more people that you're getting in front of every single day is very important because it's, it's, a, it's a contact game. You have to be in front of people. And if you're just sitting in your office coming up with a nice brochure, you're not in front of people. You need to be out in front of people. Well, Jose, you've gotten yourself out in front of the people. And in a big way, your focus on building and marketing to your sphere of influence and past client database is paying off. Your willingness to make your daily calls, even when you're not up for it, shows your competitive nature and your desire to maintain your number one position in your market for yourself and your family. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV real estate agent lead generation television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV 
R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.